This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's never a good sign when I'm the one presenting a logical solution. Scott Owen. James, can I just make just one quick point? And Adam Pace. Uh, I'm a male. No. Starting now. Another local season is done and dusted in the Sunshine State, and what a year it was. It was full of drama, spectacular goals, a little bit of controversy here and there, and unfortunately, a whole lot of rain, but by some miracle, we made it. We are through the grand finals, and it has been a largely very happy season for Lions once again, as well as a pretty happy uh, time down at Carrara. Hello, everyone. This is the Brisbane Football Review. It is James, Scott and Adam with you, and we're ready to run through what has been a full-on Queensland season across the National Premier League and the FQPL competitions as well. Scott, how are you going? Just catching my breath after that season. You're right, it's been a really long season, lots to overcome, but once again, Queensland football found a way, despite some quite difficult challenges at times. They did. Adam... You've been to many a games uh, this season. Uh, plenty to enjoy. Absolutely, yeah. It's always it's always great to sort of get out, you know, and obviously every weekend see see the best of the local action, you know, not only in MPL, which MPL men, which obviously is a heavy heavy coverage, but we've got through a fair number of uh, women's women's games as well, the FQPL divisions as well. So overall, yeah, look, uh, it was a season that you know could threaten to go gone off the rails because of you know the three week delay because of the rain. That you know that you know, hit, but uh, look to get it done in time and actually had the season wrapped up before the first of October. I think it's great. We haven't seen that in a few years. Well, that was my uh, lead-off thought. Actually, is the fact that and it has been mentioned on the NPL Sunday Show, powered by the Brisbane Football Review, is the fact that you've got to give a lot of credit to the FQ Comps team uh, for getting this season finished on time. I think having had. Massive delays in 2020 and 2021, which were, in all fairness, completely unavoidable. The fact that they were able to finish the seasons on the dates that they announced all the way back in December, good work to them. Well done to the clubs as well. Some of the playing services weren't ideal, but they got the games done, and that is far and away the most important thing. Scott? Yeah, absolutely. that is the most important thing. Again, to miss four weeks at the start of the season for unforeseen circumstances like that, and not just to miss four weeks, but the damage that did to some of the facilities around the place that even up to three, four months later, teams were still getting back into their facilities. That's a remarkable achievement that we didn't have to push the season back any further, which we have had to do in the last couple of years. For sure. And um, yeah, the season was done. It was Lions who claimed the premiership, despite some uh, formerly associated with the Richlands club insisting that they weren't favourites and weren't going to quite contend uh, overall, but they did. You didn't actually believe them, did you? No, not of, of course not. <laughs> I, I, as I've said many a times before, I'd learned my mistake counting out lines when uh, I thought they were going to finish fifth when Warren Moon left. And boy, did I hear about that when Are they won the grand. Are you back there yet, by the way? Well, I don't know. That's the downside of doing the remote commentary for uh, Football Queensland all season. I haven't found out which gr- uh, grounds I've been banned from. Not that, not that I think I would be banned from any clubs. Most of them seem to like us, at least to our faces. Well, that's true. <laughs> yeah. But either way, it has been an um, enjoyable season. So let's run through the five uh, 
Senior Football Queensland competitions. And we'll start off with the NPL men's. It took it had a bit of a delayed start. It began with round four, but it got off to a crazy start. Lions won the premiership. Gold Coast Knights won the grand final. And for me, the overarching story of the season was Olympic. It was the same story again. They did a great job getting to the grand final. It was an epic semi. But on grand final day, they just couldn't get the job done. The one point I want to make on that as well, I would rather lose grand fi- five grand finals in a row as opposed to losing the semifinal or not make the finals for five years in a row. It sucks. It's a horrible feeling, but it is still a remarkable run for Ben Kahn and company. Well, I think obviously as well, it also means they won five semifinals in a row. So you look at, you know, half empty, half full. Look, it's, it is a remarkable achievement of um, – of what uh, of what Ben Khan and that squad, which largely you know from year one to year five was largely intact, with you know only only a number of additions and and whatnot. Uh, but uh, but yeah, look, I think it's the only postscript to that to um, Ben Khan's sort of you know, tenure in the MPLs that no trophies to to go with it, which I think you know to a point it seems to be you know a bit of a darn shame. But uh, look, you look at his, the clubs that have won trophies over that time as well you probably couldn't deny them either like i said you know but look olympic were sort of you know a constant uh you know force in that in the uh in the league over the last five years yeah without a doubt scott i'm not sure i'd like to lose five grand finals in a row under any circumstances to tell you the truth having lost one in golden goal i'm not over it yet so losing five i don't know what how that would feel but in terms of the overall story of the season, it's a bit like the order being restored, James. I mean, the big four teams, we know Gold Coast missed out last year. They got themselves back into it this year in the top four, and they were the dominant sides. And it was pretty clear very early in the season that it was going to be those four sides once again in the final series. So I think that's the overarching story of the year, that as much as some teams did gain some ground, and we'll talk about them all shortly, those top four teams still remain a step ahead. Yeah. I think the, so the other story, I think, was also at the other end of the uh, table, and obviously the uh, the much uh, talked about exemption really sort of caused chaos. But also as well, look, you know, you know, be that as it may, it also gave Lent to some really, really meaningful games and some some really nervous moments at the back end of the season for a lot of clubs that really would not know um, sort of what the sting of relegation would feel like. So. So, so yeah, so that that was sort of a, a more of a manufactured story itself, but still, it did it did uh, set some you know nice subplots near the end of the season. Yeah, and that was the other uh, big story I wanted to touch on as well was the exemption for the raw. It's been discussed ad nauseum. There is absolutely nothing new we can add to it. But from a neutral perspective, or from a commentator perspective, it made these a few of those end of season games that would have otherwise been dead rubbers a whole lot more valuable. And unfortunately it was Logan uh, that paid the price as well. I'm sure they will feel hard done by understandably. Uh, but in the end, it did make the end of the season really interesting because it was so close between fourth, like fourth place pen power. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was like second to 10th was closer than 10th to 11th or something along those lines as well, which just, shows how competitive uh, the league was overall here, Scott. Absolutely. And look, I mean, we're not going to go through the exemption and whether it's right or wrong again. We we've, are gone definitely through that. Not. we've gone through that so many times. I think people understand our thoughts on that one. But to your point, the last few weeks of the season, 
there were some teams that were in that relegation battle that probably shouldn't have been, but it did make it really interesting. I, mean, I think you had three or four sides on that last day who needed something, either needed a point or needed a result to go their way to secure their safety. And it did create some real drama at the back end of the season, which otherwise would have been a pretty flat ending given the league had been won comprehensively and there were two teams at the bottom quite clearly. So it did at least create some drama to the end of the season to keep an eye on. Yeah, and in and in that same regard as well, um, it yeah, it was a really good season just in terms of competitiveness. There were plenty of uh, classic games as well, and we'll quick, quickly run through some of our highlights. Um, I want to lead off with the Gold Coast Derby on the 5th of August. I'm going to admittedly give a bit more weight to the games that I commentated because they're the ones that I was just paying a lot That's more attention to. Um, no, I, I just have to say that every year. You know that. Adam's going to pick a Morton Bay game, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, For the brand. <laughs> yes, thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, the Gold Coast derby, it, was, it took a while to get going, but that final 15 minutes, and at 40-something, Shane Smeltz, he still has it. He, it is amazing to think. There's, there's an argument to be made that he could still come and uh, do a job as a super sub for an A-League team. And I think Gold Coast United are very happy to have him. Adam, what was your highlight game? Look, I'm going to go highlight games, plural, because that, um, that Saturday night, or what was supposed to be the final round of the season, was just absolutely epic. That, that Like, uh, results that you now we never saw coming, like like we start off with Logan Lightning playing for survival to beat you know to beat Lions and then Morton Bay playing for their survival, you know, also you know going to going to the Croatia Center beating Gold Coast Knights. And on top of that, uh the game that, that Scott and I were at, you know, East so yeah, so and also as well, uh East also getting the job done. So it was it was one of those nights that it was just absolute mayhem and yeah, look, you just can't. Um, you, like I said, it's it's a pity that again that wasn't the last day of the season. Take because there were a couple of uh, makeup games the following week, but that that Saturday night was just uh, absolutely you know, outstanding. I think that's 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 drama, and that's what pro relegation, you know, I guess the relegation side can sort of you know dictate. Well, I I want to take a peek behind the curtain as well because first of all, I'm so glad that that final full round of the season was played simultaneously because that just made things so much fun. But in that, on the, on those lines, a bit of a peek behind the curtain. So we do the uh, commentary out of the double take studios at Cooperoo. And I I was in my booth and the guys there had done a big favor. So they'd set me up with the screens that I normally commentate off. And then there was a third one there where I was getting the live feeds from around the grounds. So I had, like my normal commentary notes, I had team sheets for every sing- every other game going on and the full scenarios of what was happening. So you had that goal update coming up in the bottom right corner of your screen on the feature match, which was Gold Coast United East. And I'm just doing doing my best Scott Hansen NFL red zone impersonation as well, saying, you know, all right, we're here at uh, Talabudra, but now we're going to take a I'm quickly going to take you through what's going on uh, at Carrara up the road. Oh, look, there's been a goal at Calabar. It was far and away the most fun night I have had commentating um, a regular season for quite a while. And it's a really good addition that they've done the last couple of years, having the final round simultaneously. And hopefully that's something that they do continue across all five of these that did that. So that's something else. In terms of um, 
you've got you've both gone on, Brent. Uh, James, you went for games that you commentated. Adam went for Morton Bay. What a surprise! And um, I'm going to go <laughs> I'll go for the rivalry, which I think is the best in the in the NPL, which is Lions and Olympic. And living halfway between the two of them, I think I'm a, the neutral advisor between the pair of them. But the particularly the first league game, James, the grand final rematch, which you and I called, you called quite well. I was decidedly average as a co-commentator, but, <laughs> no, but it was a really good game, wasn't it? In terms of just that rivalry and the way it just elevates itself above everything else in the NPL. And to me, it just is the number one rivalry. And I thought it was that game in particular was really, really good quality. Yeah. And it was an interesting game as well. So it was the semi-final, by the way. Oh yeah. That semi-final was as good as it got, but that, that was also a fun night as well. Cause that was the third game I'd done, you know, back to back to back. I did rugby at three football at five and, um, football at seven. It was a miracle I was able to get. I was through. worried you were going to leave me in the lurch and get me to do that on my own. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that was actually a lot of good fun as well. Getting to uh, bring you into the studio there. All we needed was physician Adam by the effects uh, mic on the camera and get him to do sideline reporting. I was on yeah, the opposite side on the deck. Yeah, you were staying dry, which was the important <laughs> thing as well because that was also the weekend before everything got cancelled again. Um, yeah, but you're right. Those were some of the highlights of the season, and there were plenty from the NPL men's. Let's run through uh, some of the – well, let's go through the teams. We'll go in their final finishing order and just give a quick thought on uh, how it was for all of them. Uh, I think we'll start off with the uh, Premier's Lions, and the only thing you can really say to that, class is permanent. It is. Uh, they fin- they finished three games clear of the rest. Uh, they they looked they looked home a long way out and look they they from from top to bottom were just a, a superior team. Um, even even a couple of you know niggly injuries here or there uh, with with key members that didn't really seem to stop them. So look, I think as, as a as a club and as a squad, I think yeah they you know deserve a premiers. Scott? The, gold, the gold line is back on top. And you know what the scary thing is, James? They would view this as a, a business unfinished season because they didn't make the Australia Cup round of 32 and they fell short in the finals. So looking ahead to next year, they're going to use that as motivation to go even further again. But this season in the league was absolutely spectacular for everyone at Lions and they were, to Adam's point, they were well and truly home and hosed a long way out. And look, I know it is a somewhat contentious uh, topic amongst some of the other clubs as well, but Lions invest in their squad. Like they've got the means to, they make the most of their opportunities. And you've got to give them credit for backing themselves to put out a competitive product on the field year in, year out. Now, on to the grand final winning champions, Gold Coast Knights. And Scott McDonald's first season, it kind of followed a little bit of a peaks and valleys uh, part. It started off with a wild 6-3 win at Lions in their opening game of the season and ended with a grand final. But it wasn't all smooth sailing, was it, Scott? No, it wasn't all smooth saying. They had some ups and downs to your point. But this was always a big year for Gold Coast. They missed the top four in 2021. They wanted to get themselves back into it. But they did start quite well. And then they had that tailing up period through the middle, didn't they, where it looked like, are they going to make it or are they going to miss out again? And then towards the end, they started to pick it up once again. I know Scott McDonald was disappointed that they only got finished second in the league because he had high hopes of finishing at the top of the tree. But to finish it off with the grand final and to get silverware back to that club, we know how ambitious they are, James. I think for year one, they can probably accept it. And then they'll be looking to 
pick up that other trophy for the first time next year. I think that's that's the salient point in all this is that, yeah, look, they, they did win the grand final, but certainly job not done for Scott McDonald and that club. I think they, they want they want the uh, the league, and I think that's obviously going to uh, fuel them further to, you know, to really make a big push uh, next season. So certainly that's, that's to be continued as far as, you know, what Gold Coast Knights uh, can, can do in 2023. Yep, for sure. Olympic, Ben Kahn's uh, run came to an end in Rather disappointing circumstances, I think he would say. Another grand final defeat. But as we mentioned in the introduction for Olympic, it still feels like this has been a really amazing run of consistency, making the finals and winning a semi-final every year. I, th- I think it's a case of, yeah, it wasn't always smooth sailing as well for Olympic. They they near the end of the season had a, you know, a terrible run of outs where I think they, they only won one of their last five running in. You sort of thought that, you know, that uh, going into the semifinals, they're pretty much a lame, lame duck for Lions to run all over top. Then they had that that epic semi-final, uh, which you know, they, you know obviously where form really counts for nothing. So it just shows, you know, the quality within that team that they could get themselves up for that big game occasion. Whether it felt flat in the grand final because they sort of you know they really they really celebrated hard after that win at 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 the Gold Lion in that semi-final and sort of you know who can blame them to a point, but. Uh, yeah, look, at the end of the day, they, they were still in the top four. A few losses that, you know, were, or draws, they were pretty inexplicable. But, you know, that, that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, they started strong, and, started strong. It always seemed like once they realised they weren't going to be able to catch Lions, they kind of just backed it off a little bit to try and peak in the final series, James. And they they, they caught the caught Lions cold in the semi-final. But over, over the whole five years, I think it's another really really similar Lions. Isn't it? Olympic season, to beg your pardon. They played a lot of really good football Won, won a lot of games, dropped a few, but ultimately they just fell short once again on the on the big stage. And that's unfortunately that's the way that's the way it fell for Olympic in this era. They played some great football, and probably deserved to win a trophy. But as your point earlier, you can't fault the teams that did end up winning the grand finals because they were super sides in their own right. But I think this is probably the right time for a bit of a reset and a refresh at at Goodwin Park. It's been a really good five years. Haven't quite got over the line. And we wish um, the incoming Royce Brownlee all the best trying to restore the original NPL champions back to the top. Yeah, uh, for sure as well. And you have to say, Olympic, their their highlight of the season for me, aside from that semi-final win, was absolutely belting our next team, now that we're going to talk about Pen Power off the park, 6-1, in what for me was possibly the most dominating performance of the season. And it wasn't anything specific that Penn Power did. Olympic were just on fire that night, and they were yeah just too good in the end. Olympic are sort of side that you know that really sort of can play when they when they're on they're hot. They are they are a joy to watch. They're probably you know they are one of the best teams you know to to watch you know, when they do that. And I think that's something that certainly you know you might want to keep an eye out for those MPL Victorian uh, slash South so Queensland. There we go. I don't know. South Queensland um, sort of proposed seeing much whether whether Ben Khan brings that style to Melbourne Knights because if they catch they catch a lot and they get they they get what he wants, uh, they they're going to be they're going to be very very good to watch as well, especially in in that league and the way they play at league. But onto Peninsula Power as well. Look, I guess it was a changing of the guard season, I think, for them. Uh, 
obviously the um, the two-time defending premiers uh, with uh, with uh, Rick Coughlin taking over from Aaron, Aaron Phil mid-season. Uh, look, probably of their of their sort of time in MPL, probably not their best season. But also as well, you can't also forget that you know they had that incredible run in the uh, Australia Cup where they made it all the way through quarterfinal, which was you know a high mark for that club, as was quoted by a number of officials that they. At, at the club, but you know, that's probably their, their best achievement in this in this era. So, um, look at the end of the day, you can't they can't be faulted for you know to take their eye off the league when it meant so much more to be you know in the Australia Cup and they were knocked out by uh, one one of the finals uh, this weekend. Well, and the uh, mark that uh, I would say in favour of Penn Power is it felt like this was a transition year for them as they moved on from the Aaron Phil uh, era to now the Rick Coughlin era, they, it was it, it did feel like this was uh, sort of changing the guard, both at the coaching and in that squad as well. They've signed three really promising youngsters, which as long as they don't get uh, poached by A-League sides down the line, uh, that trio of Malachi Love, Samira, Solomon Valdemarium, and Joseph Hitchcock, that's a pretty damn good base to build any side around. Add in uh, Brody Boyce at the back as well. And that is a young core that you can feel very, very good about. Just quickly, Morningside Knights have never had a manager as good as this in the South Queensland Conference, James. But in terms of peninsula power, I was going to use took the words right around. I was going to say transitional year, and that's exactly what it was. And not many sides are going to have a transitional year and be a top four MPL side and make the Australia Cup quarterfinals. So it's a credit to everyone up there in Redcliffe that they were able to transition and transition the coaching situation move on from some really successful long-term players and still achieve all of that. I think the young players that have brought through will form really good foundation for the next really great Peninsula Power side. And the other thing is, it is another semi-final defeat in the MPL for Peninsula Power. And that's the one thing they need to get over the line, is just to get over the line to make it to a grand final. They're not far away. They're not doing much wrong. It's just getting to that grand final. just falling one step short. Yeah, and they will have uh, another chance at that in 2023 at the rate they're going, I'm sure. Now, I had to double-check and make sure this wasn't a typo. Brisbane City finished fifth despite being in the relegation zone for most of the season, and it does come with a little bit of an asterisk as well because they did finish the season with far and away the best form of any team in Queensland. And you talk to a few of the people from around the club, and it's fair to say they were starting the season a long way behind the eight ball because of uh, what was massive flooding at the club in um, February when everything basically went under. Yeah, look, uh, Brisbane sees a tale of two seasons for them. And the, and the, there's, uh, I guess there's two sort of tangible moments. You say, obviously, the flooding that happened at um, Spencer Park was a real major setback to one of the icon, iconic grounds um, in Brisbane. But I think the, also the, where the penny really dropped for this side on the pitch, that 7-0 loss at, at, at Lions Stadium in the league, and then a turnaround 72 hours later and then knock out Lions for them to pretty much to, to move on to the national rounds. That really gave them a turbocharger confidence. And they, they and you're absolutely right, James. They were the form side uh, going in, you know, going in the back end of the season. Look, if the season goes a couple more weeks, 
they're, they're really knocking on that door of potentially finals football. And I think, obviously, with their re-signings, obviously, Matt Smith moving on to uh, that general managerial role at the Raw, you know, may change things. But look, uh, his replacement, Carl Dodd, is certainly no slouch. And obviously, will have experience. And you'd go expect that Brisbane City will be back in the reckoning again next season. Yeah, two more weeks, James. They probably would have made the top four, given the form they were carrying at the back end of the season. But... It was the first half of the year. I don't think they were playing poorly. It was just trying to get themselves back up to that NPL level. I had a lot of players who hadn't really played at that level, a couple in particular who were in key positions for them. And then Adam's right, that three, four-day stretch where they played against Lions, that kick-started their season. And from then on, they were a really, really good side to watch. And I think they've really laid the foundations now of a side which isn't just going to be an NPL side or a mid-table side. I think next year, they're going to be a real contender. Yeah, they, they seem like just going off the end of last year, the team most likely to uh, break up the established order of the top four. Another side who came pretty close to making finals and were in it right up until the final week of the season uh, was Gold Coast United. And I don't want to say six is a disappointing finish, but with the way the season unfolded, six was a bit of a disappointing finish for Grey Pittick's squad. It's disappointing given the fact that they probably should have made the top four given some of the sides they dropped points too early in the season. They picked up points in a couple of teams who finished in and around the bottom. They would have ended up making it. So it was a really good year for Gold Coast. You know, we've seen when Grey Pittick went there, we expected that they would take a big step forward. Last year, it didn't really eventuate. This year, it did. I think the one thing that they might need to really just work on is that front third has a lot of similar players. James, you've got Shane Smeltz, Jared Kyle... Um, Kai Tapaldo, Sam Smith, all very similar types of guys, players in the front third. They tried, tried to bring players in like Jason McQuire, so that didn't work out. Nick Panetta, that did. I think that type of player that they can bring in to create things in the front third to give them a different way of playing, that might be the missing link to between them and the finals because everything else they're doing is really good. Yeah, dropping six points to uh, Logan, who ended up being relegated, certainly would was a different side of the season. A couple of other sort of results that, you know, again, they dropped, I think they dropped uh, four points against Sunshine Coast Wanderers, which is not a bad effort, but I think a club of their stature would expect to get, to at least be able to pick up four or six on their side thing. So, look, I think it's, they're, they're always competitive against the top, Top clubs, uh, they've got they've got the squad to it, and I think you know if 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 majority of that squad is back, they've got there's some got some good youngsters coming through as well. Uh, we've got one youngster that's gone off to the Raw and, and signed a youth deal, so that's a, that's obviously a shows that their academy is sort of you know really producing players. So um, so yeah, look, I, I think Gold Coast United, I think you know especially under Grey Pittick, you obviously got to think that they're going to be um, there and about again. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on to Sunshine Coast Wanderers, it was always going to be asking a little bit much uh, to replicate the run of 2021, considering the uh, amount of key players that they lost there as well, Adam. Yeah, look, they lost uh, a ton of experience in, you know, in, in Mitch Cooper and Tyson Holmes. Um, yeah, they, they really sort of, you know, but with that said, look, I, I would say that there's still, I think the finish seventh in this competitive league uh, is still a great achievement. Um, obviously, also young Harry Arneson, uh, you know, left in the season. Brody Boyce uh, went to Pinchel Power. So that, that's some big names there that they, they lost. But uh, look, um, Ballinger Park is you know, turning out to be 
one real mongrel of a place for opposition uh, clubs to sort of you know, gain any points out of, you know, be it be it be top of the league or bottom of the league. They, it is a it is a tough place, and that, that I think that's the key to Sunshine Coast success. If they can keep you know the fortress you know alive up there, and as well you know improve their form on the road, uh, look again, you know they're they're another team that you know certainly can sneak under the radar and under the guard of a lot of teams. Scott? Yeah, well, fortress balance has always been a thing. It wasn't quite as much of a fortress this year, James, as it was the year before. But I think this is about the year we kind of expected the Sunshine Coast, wasn't it? In the middle of the pack, probably not a top four side, but certainly not a bottom of the table. So it was good to see Kyron Walters come down from up north and really establish himself down here in southeast Queensland as a really good player. So I think they've got a lot to build on Sunshine Coast, but Tatum's point home form is always going to be a key, key part of whatever they do. Yep. Uh, another side that was mid-table, found themselves in a bit of a relegation battle at the end, was uh, Eastern Suburbs, where, Scott, I I have to admit, I didn't get to see much of East, but they always seem to be producing some form of drama in the games that I did get to watch. They're entertaining, East. There's no doubt about that. The players they have, they've got some really good players, some good experienced players on the, the front third. really exciting guys like Godfrey DeBelli, Abraham Yango, Alex Simmons. There's some really exciting players. Even at the back, they've got some really good young players. We saw them in the last round. Connor Damser and Jamie Davies, the goalkeeper and the right-back, respectively. Really good young players. So they've got a good nucleus of players there. It's just consistency at East. If they could put it together over a full 20-odd game season, they'd be right there. And that's the challenge now for Matt Chandler next season is to try and get that performance consistently out of that group. Yeah, absolutely agree with what Scott's saying about East. I think they're, they're smoky as far as they've got some good, young, exciting players. Godfrey DeBelli, the um, the young player of the year, is awarded by Football Queensland. I can't believe he, he's been around for years. He's still 21. I'm just blown away by that, but how good a player he still can be. So, look, they, they've got, um, like I said, they can retain most of the side, get a bit of experience, get some consistency. I think, yeah, again, they, they are going to be, you know, a force we reckon with. For sure. Now, uh, over to this next team, Scott, you and I don't need to say a single word about this because uh, the mayor of Moreton Bay is going to cover his team. Ooh. Well, yeah, it's, it's sort of, it was a, when they, when they were hot, they were hot, when they, when they were, when they sort of off, they were, were not very good. And I think that's, again, I think yeah, at this level, uh, consistency is key. You know, obviously when Rio Ono and Lyndon Farr fire, they they you know were beating teams by by five six goals, but uh, when they sort of also defensively they really did struggle after time. So obviously uh, Cameron Miller's got a new the incoming coach has got a bit of a challenge. Royce Brownley off to Olympic, um, but look uh, again another club that relies heavily on their academy. Their under 23s team you know made it through the semi-finals, went bowed out you know narrowly to the eventual. Uh, Gareth wins and Brisbane Raw Academy. So, look, I think uh, they'll be one to watch as far as what they can bring through. But, uh, yeah, look, I think it would be a you know, a D-minus season for them if I had to grade them. can't believe you didn't throw to me first on Morton Bay, James. I'm disappointed. But, <laughs> uh, first of all, good luck to Cameron Miller. I've known him for a fair while. Wish him all the best in that job. And the thing, it's it, uh, really odd because a month out from the end of the season, Morton Bay was still in and around that top four race, as Adam kept saying on the Sunday show. They can still make it. They can still make it. And they went from that basically almost seemingly from the next week to being in a in that relegation scrap. So it was a really odd end of the year, and they did just enough to survive ultimately. I think it would have been a travesty if they had have gone down given the playing talent that they have got, particularly at the junior level. So great to see them hanging around in the NPL next year, but they've got a bit of a 
a rebuilding job to do. That they do. Scott, I will throw to you uh, for the next club, which was the side that finished 11th but has been classified as 10th because they weren't relegated, and that is the Brisbane Raw uh, youth team, which is essentially the under-23s. And, well, look, we've spoken about transition years. I don't think any side had a bigger transition than uh, this Raw team under Chris Grossman. No, they're used to having transition years with young players coming in and out all the time, but this year was much more, more than the usual for a Brisbane Roar Academy side. A lot of players stepped up to the A-League level or moved on to other senior NPL opportunities. And it was a, a very young group of players that Chris Grossman had to had to coach. And it's fair to say it didn't work out as they planned it would in terms of the results. In terms of the players coming through, Fernando Nash was a real standout for them in the front third. And I think they have got some good young players, as you would expect they would do. I'll be very intrigued to see if this exemption does get removed from them. Will they go out and bring in a couple of players to help them solidify their NPL status, or will they just stick with the plan? I think that'll be something we'll be very interesting to follow over the summer months, but it's fair to say it wasn't the year that the Brisbane Royal Academy were hoping for coming off of a second-place finish to finish second bottom on the table. Well, I just want to chime in with a little uh, stat here because you have a few uh, of those players mentioned, Scott. Overall this season, the Raw used far and away the most players of any NPL side in uh, Queensland, their tally, which I wish I had written down now, is something like 38 or 39, with the next uh, most popular squad uh, being 31 or 32 players. So there Compared were... to Brisbane City, who were playing just barely 20 players for the entire season, yeah. including their cup run. And I should clarify, that count, that is players that were named on a team sheet and actually got onto the pitch. There are a couple of uh, guys that were named as either reserve goalkeepers or just filling out the bench on match day that didn't get on uh, overall. Adam? Yeah, look, uh, I've got much more to add. Um, I think Scott sums up perfectly about the Raw's predicament. The only thing I will add, but is that uh, with with the, the exemption, is that you're right. I think the where, what happens from here, as far as the exemption goes, will be a case of what what does the what does Football Queensland and the other clubs what do they expect from the Roar? As far as what is their you know do they expect them to be you know a player development you know giving giving the best juniors you know the opportunity for an elite pathway, or do they expect results? And if, it, if it's the latter, then it'll be a case of then don't complain when the Raw start hoarding all the best youngsters in, in within their academy side, and you know, and and so look and look like that they'll they'll you know keep squads you know pretty much the same for a couple of years in in an attempt to maintain their status because I cannot believe that the Raw would want to be playing FQPL. So I think yeah, you know, if if the expectation is going to be that you know, oh, that they they have to be competitive. That the results, are the anything that matters, and you know, forget about what their what the raw sort of mantra is. And that is to produce players that can go on to play, you know, professional football. Well, then don't be surprised in one or two years' time when start some of these other academies start complaining that all oh, the raw have gone and you know, and basically go you know, pilfered all their young players because this is what this is the uh, consequence. So look, I, I, while I know that that overwhelmingly people want the exemption gone. Just be careful what you wish for, because you know there, there are also unintended consequences that could be down further down the road. And, so I we're we, talking about the exemption anymore. I knew we'd get, get Adam on his soapbox. Anyway, let's move on <laughs> to uh, Logan Lightning, and we'll go back to you, Adam, and say it was just a case of not quite having the cattle in the end, was it? Yeah, uh, they finished. Uh, they they just finished just short. 
Um, one, one game short. Again, yeah, you know, the circumstances uh, put ahead. But like I said as well, I think they should be very proud of the season they put up. Um, they some some good good players as well that you know that we have seen. You know, a Carl Salieri, you know, in goalkeeper was sort of you know, one of the top goalkeepers in the league. Uh, and Eddie Bidwell, I think, had excitement and and you know a couple of you know good young players in that squad. So they'll, they'll go back to FQPL. I'd expect them to be very very formidable. Uh, James James Cooper decided to stick around uh, to coach in the FQPL with Richard Greer going to be his assistant down there. The former Olympic. Uh, assistant to Ben Khan is now is now down there. So look I expect them to be very competitive. But look, I feel sorry for the club as a whole that they that that the circumstances happen. But you know, sometimes these things have a silver lining. I think they they would be um a strong contender to come back uh stronger than ever. It'll sound funny, Jennifer, so they got relegated. I thought they had a good year. I thought they <laughs> were really, really they really good. You got twenty six points in the Canyon, which is a really good achievement for that side. And they would stay true to who they are. And don't forget they made the national round of the Australian mm. Cup as well, which adds to the achievement. I just wonder if Rick Coughlin had stayed, would things have turned out a little bit differently for them in the league? But I can't fault the way they played. They gave it everything they had. Unfortunately, they just fell short of what they were hoping to achieve. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the final team, I don't really know what to say about Calabar other than they just didn't have it. And after flirting with relegation for the last few years, um, Adam, they finally fell victim to it. And I barely finished with what? Five points, four points, three. There we go. Thank you, Scott. It was uh, not a good season. Yeah, it was coming that they 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 survived uh, 2021 by the skin of their teeth, uh, literally. Uh, and they didn't they didn't really improve that side. 2022, they came um, crashing down a flaming heap. Unfortunately, they were clearly the. Um, sort of the the lowest ranked team in the league all year um it sort of it sort of showed and look i wish them well in their rebuild in fqpl next year yeah and that's exactly what it's going if to it be it was a running race james they they stumbled out the gate and never got up it's unfortunate but they've got some good young players down there at capella it was great to see matt mckay make an appearance for them one off in the mpl but they do have a bit of rebuilding too and brian hastings i think is the new coach down there so we'll see what he can do in terms of rebuilding at at the uh, Bulldogs. Yeah, there was fight in that uh, Kapalabar team as well. Like you can't deny that. that they was... played power tight twice. We watched one of the games up at um Kabulcha when it was one of the rainy weekends. I think they were two 0 up in that game and so managed to succumb in the end. But they certainly had their moments. Yeah, look, I will say just quickly that even though they finished on three points in the history of the MPL, they certainly by a long way were not the worst team that's ever played. It's just like I said, they just didn't have the end product. Like, I think that even though three draws, I would say probably another three or four games at least, they they were either in front or were hanging on before they, 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 they sort of fell away in the end. So they, they, while they were second best most weeks in the table, doesn't lie. Look, in the annals of the NPL history, they were certainly not one of the worst teams that have ever been assembled. Unfortunately, their points tally does suggest that they are. Yep. All right. Um, that's it for NPL men's. Another season uh, done, and uh, we'll look forward to next year in that competition. We'll stick with the NPL for the time being, though, and recap the final competition that uh, came to a conclusion on Saturday night. And, well, as I said, the Lions dynasty rolls on with another trophy heading to the bulging trophy case at Richlands. That was a horrible set in structure. I apologise for that. But um, 
yeah, it, it was pretty much Lions and everyone else fighting for second, and that race turned out to be won by Gold Coast United, Scott. Yeah, they're going to have to remove some of the poker machines up there at Lions, at the Gold Line and put in a bigger trophy case, aren't they? Because they keep adding to it every single year. It is a, it's an ex, ever-expanding trophy cabinet, but particularly on the women's side, they've been the dominant force, and they're setting a standard that, at the moment, teams are trying to reach, and they're just not quite able to get there. Gold Coast were the best check contenders all year long. And we saw on the grand final, James, you called the game. We saw the golf in class between the two sides. They're just that good, this Lions team. Back-to-back treble winning seasons without losing a game. It's something that's 56 unbeaten now. And it it's a tremendous achievement, but it comes from hard work. They don't just turn up and play. They put the work in to achieve this. And they are that far out of the pack at the moment. It's quite it's quite remarkable to watch. Yeah, and that that's the other point. Oh that is worth mentioning about Lions as well, is they're, they're ruthless and they show up with a job to do every week. And I, I cannot think of a time where I've looked at Lions and gone, oh, they've, you know, they just don't have it tonight. And with that grand final as well, Gold Coast United weren't bad. That's, that's the scary thing. It was 2-0 up until like uh, just after the hour mark or something, and then with Gold Coast just pushing players forward because it's a grand final, you just go for it. They um, just wound up getting caught out at the back and Lions swarmed forward in numbers, and that was that. The thing is, the two marquee games that Lions played in, in, in this, I guess, of course, Super September, the the Kappa Women's Super Cup Final and the MPL Grand Final, and both games, South United in the, in the Cup and uh, Gold Coast United in the Grand Final, they, they were, you know, ostensibly in the game. But then, they, then something just... Something just you know, flicks on, and that and that line scene just goes through the years and just absolutely showed ruthlessness, you know. And and that, no, like I said, that is the difference at the end of the day is that you know they're not satisfied with you know a you know, a a sort of you know, a eked out win that they really sort of you know, on the big stage show. And look, I I am unapologetic by saying this is I think the best MPL club, women's club in the country, and. Like I said, until such time, we have a cup competition across the national teams, across the you know, member federation clubs. You know, there's not, not going to be much evidence to, to prove you know, otherwise. And like I said, because this, this league is still a decent league. It's just that lines are that much better and, the, and their standards so much higher. It makes good clubs um, look very, very ordinary. And that, that's a scary thought. And the scary, other scary thing is, James, they did this without a couple of their best players for big chunks of the season. They missed Chelsea Blissett for a few weeks. They missed Mario Hecker for a few weeks. They missed Cannon Clough for a few weeks. The latter two of those are the club co-captains. So, And they, they didn't miss a beat. And that's the really scary thing. Is they, they missed those players, but nothing changed. They brought through their young players in their very successful 23s team, and they were still as dominant as ever, which is a real credit to the coaching of Rob Askew and the player development they have out there at Lions. So... Even without their best players, we, they may miss them for even longer, given the A-League women's season is going to be longer this year, next year. So if they miss them for even longer, is it going to make a difference? They're just, they're just, they've got a conveyor belt of talent coming through that seems you can plug anyone into that system and it works. This is, this is not, this is, sorry, just one more point I just want to make just to, to lend to Scott's point, is that this is not a club that goes around, like they'll, they'll go and buy certain players, fill certain pieces, 
But at the heart of the Lions dynasty is that, you know, you've got young players that have come through their system that are now playing, you know, in, in this side. And like I said, you can you can take out a Mario Hecker, a Cannon Cloth, and a Ishinori, you know, a Chelsea Blissett. And you've got four young players there already to take their place. That that makes them still the very best in this league. And that that to me is what ultimately what a dominant dynasty of a club is all about. Yeah, and my final point on that as well with the club is, yet yeah, you look at their team sheets every week. Yes, they've got a star-studded lineup. You know, they did go and sign Ishinori, um this season as well, just to shore up that midfield because apparently it needed shoring up. But um, you look at it top to bottom, they've got a star-studded lineup. But on the bench every week, there are always a couple of names from that junior side as well. You've got the likes of Abby Everts, you've got Georgia, uh, Georgia Rink uh, coming through as well. She played quite a few games in central defence this year. It is just an unbelievably deep squad that is complemented very well. And I'm, you, know, you know Rob Askew will pick his times to introduce those young players into the uh, team as well. And, yeah, it, it is a really good side, but they have fought for and earned every single trophy they've won as well. And while I... And Tegan Riding was uh, Brisbane Football Review Player of the Year for the competition as well. I have no qualms with her winning that award. But I Mario, you, you can yeah, vote for it. I know. I, but what, this is why it's a two-part thing. Just, just, you, can't, just you, can't, you can't appeal now. I, I have no intention of appealing, but you look at those two finals that Scott mentioned as well, and you just see how influential Mario Hecker is on that team in the big moments. When something needs to happen, it's Hecker not just weaving her magic with the ball at her feet, but it's closing down, putting the pressure on the opposing defense when they're trying to play it out as well. And she's the one forcing the mistakes. And I heard an interview with Tegan riding, I think with the uh, Lions uh, side as well. And they genuinely don't seem to care who scores the goals. It is just a case of let's just score. You know, if it's, you know, someone like cloth setting up Amy Gunston for a goal or Hecker setting up riding, it's, just an unbelievable team uh, work ethic as well, top to bottom. And they were just too good. Um, it's a good point you make about Hecker's work rate too. She's tracking back yeah. into the corners in that grand final and just thinking, no, who when else it, does that? What other key attacking player does that? Yeah. Um, quickly touch on the uh, best games. I'm actually going to go for something from the opening weekend of the season and what was a classic contest between East and uh, South United. Sophie Person and Bella Habuda traded braces as well. It was a 94th minute winner or something ridiculous like that. Just a really good way to start that season off overall. I'll go right to the other end of the season. I'll go with the grand final. I thought the show that Lions put on, the whole season's been about Lions to me on the women's side. The show that they put on was just remarkable. Yep. Adam, your best game? Yeah, look, um... It's there. Like I said, I, I can't really go past uh, a number of, of Lions games. I, th- I think that, you know, I think that their whole final series, I think that really, like 9-0 nine, nine over South, 6-0 over, um, over, over Gold Coast United. Look, I just think it was just the ultimate, you know, show of class and ruthlessness all in one. And I just think, yeah, I can't, I can't really go back sort of through, um, yeah, pick out individual games. But that's the one lasting memory I have of this season of the NPL women's is it's just Lions. 
And look, I this also comes in from uh, my fandom of certain other competitions as well. And from a commentator's perspective, I would love to see a few more uh, close games involving lines where they were really pushed. This was my other uh, game of the season as well. It probably might not uh, stick out to too many people, but it was Lions QAS at the end of May where Adam Pangeli's side just absolutely went for it against Lions and I think gave them the biggest scare they had all season. And even though Lions won 3-2, that was the closest I've seen them to rattled in a very long time and it was by a very promising um, side uh, full of uh, hopefully stars of the future. Four, four young tilters in that side, uh, like QAS as well, even though they didn't, they didn't need the exemption. Um, we'll, we'll go on, on some shortly, but yeah, like I said, they they actually gave Lions trouble in both in both home and away. Both games were played at the, at the Gold Line. Uh, you, you did mention that game, and obviously the one all draw, which was the uh, 50 games unbeaten for Lions. But geez, that, that was a, that was probably the one time I'd say that now Lions didn't win the game. They obviously they drew it. But they escaped. Can we put a penalty on Adam continuing to mention the exception despite the fact we've said repeatedly we're not talking about it anymore? I he promise that it up. that's it. That's it. No more. Not talking about it. All right. There we go. Um, we'll go through uh, team by team. Do we really need to say anything more about Lions? Because it has kind of been a bit of a Lions we've said plenty. Yes. Yeah, All right. Let's move on to Gold Coast United. And the... Headline of them for the season was they finally broke through after struggling in the semifinals uh, for the last few years. There is something just very watchable, watchable about this side as well. The like, I'm a big fan of like a few of the players on their side and would love to see them get uh, further opportunities as well. Um, but top to bottom, they've got a really good team and plenty of big personalities as well, which for me makes them uh, quite quite entertaining to both watch and commentate on, Adam. I think uh, Gold Coast uh, United, they've got a great balance, you know, of experienced players uh, like, you know, at, at the back, you know, Ellie Fry, you know, she, she's a standout, you know, defender in in the league. Uh, Momo Hayashi, we're, we're all hoping she, you know, after her knee injury, she gets back to her very best, you know, the coming time. And even uh, Andy Thompson as well. Uh, you know, that, that's a very, very formidable spine. But they've also got some very, very good young players, you know, coming through. Charlie Adamson, Charlie Farmer, a couple of players are coming, that have come off the bench. You know, Asya Nickerbroke, I think, is going to be one to watch in the coming seasons. Um, so, so yeah, look, I think they've got a good balance of, of, um, of obviously of experience and as well as youth. And also as well, I, I think, you know, Zoe Corbett, I think, you know, she's probably the hardest working player on, on that, on that team. I, I, I love watching her play. I think she just, you know, it just, you know, like the Androids Bunny, you know, every game. I think, you know, it really sort of, you know, if there's anyone that I hope can take Lions' crown, I hope it's Gold Coast United, but I still think we're a long way from that, unfortunately. Mm. And first-year first coach Sarah Evans after a successful stint with the 23s as well. Um, the, I'm glad you mentioned Zoe Corbett because that right-side combination that um, last year was with Blaze Candice. This year it was predominantly Annabelle Gibson from what I saw. It worked a lot better this year with Gibson. Just those two seem to mesh well. And I think it's because... Like they're both capable of playing in that attacking and defensive role as well. So if one sees something, they can push forward. And the other one is more than capable of covering for them as well. Um, but yeah, top like they are a really good side to watch. Scott, I'll keep it brief because you've pretty much covered everything there is on Gold Coast. I thought D. Thompson's had another really, really good year up front for Gold Coast United. Congratulations on a recent 
recent <laughs> wedding as well. Also, it's just great to see Gold Coast now having the last couple of years they've finished top two and not been able to get over the line in a home semi-final. I know it didn't go well for them on the weekend in the grand final, but it's just good to see them get there. For a three, four-year run, they deserve to make it to a grand final. And you know what? I kind of feel like that, like just getting over that semi-final hump is going to really benefit them next year. They did win the premiership in 2020 as well, lost what was an, in the end, epic semi-final against Logan that was one of the most fun days I've had commentating as well down at Talabudra. Um, even though Gold Coast probably didn't enjoy the uh, outcome of that game. That was just that was just mental. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on. Third place, East, another mainstay when it comes to uh, finals football here in Queensland, a really talented team. But that's doing a little bit differently this year because Georgina Amos, she wasn't as heavily featured as she has been in uh, previous years. But then, again, another talented side that, sadly, probably didn't look as good as they really were because of a couple of games against Lions. Yeah, she's transitioning into a post-football coaching career, Georgina Amos. But even when she was playing, she was very, very good for East. And that attacking East strength is her attacking players like Sophie Pearson, Georgina Amos, and also um, Maya Bruckner as well in that front third for East. They had really, really good years, scored a lot of goals and challenged teams. I thought if anyone was going to really push that top two, it was going to be East, given the talent they've got. So I think they've had a really good year. It's a bit like the um, – at the back, they might be a little bit open. And they maybe just need to get a little bit more strength at the back, and if they can get that, the attack is more than good enough to end up in a grand final. They've got a lot of talent. They well, had a I really good think, year. I do think they've actually addressed that in part this year by signing uh, Keely Richards as well. So that probably did help a little bit, but you're right, maybe a couple of steps to go, Adam. Yeah, look, um, yeah, attacking-wise, they, they were great. Defensively, uh, Holly Clark came along. A bit of Shima on the uh, – also a fullback as well was yeah, a bit was a fine this season. Uh, look, they're, they're, they're tracking in the right direction. Um, again, good experience between – of, you know, experienced players and, you know, and young up-and-coming players as well. Um, they, they'll be ones to watch, you know, certainly, you know, as far as the finals places again next season. Yep. Uh, moving on, fourth place, Souths. They will hope most people forget their semi-final against uh, Lions. At, but again, a pretty good season. In But I think we might be starting to see the beginning of a transition there with Gary French uh, moving on. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. I think that the window as far as Souths United being uh, a real force in this, I think this, this is where... I would think that it may possibly come to an end. I think with uh, Gary French moving on, Paul Gennaris is going to have a big job next season trying to sort of, you know, stay in touch with uh, the team. But look, at times they they were very very good. They obviously have got some got some good uh, good solid players. Obviously uh, Bella Habuda and Ricatano were obviously their big marquee players. Probably by their standards, both of them didn't really have the seasons they hoped for. Uh, Amy Morland and Caitlin Kissel you now very uh, you know, always reliable as well. So and they've got some they've got some young players also coming through that you know some of them I think you know, were probably overexposed against that rep and you know Lions side in those big games. But um, hopefully that doesn't damage them too much. But other than that, I think yeah, it's it's going to be a transition year, and I wouldn't be surprised if we you know see them sort of you know maybe go backwards a little bit in the in the coming seasons but i think it'll be it'll be uh, one step back to go two step forward yeah i think the other thing james i want to you said they want to stop 
people talking about their semi-final. Also, want people to stop talking about their record against Lions, where they haven't scored a goal in something like 10, 10 full games now. So they'll want that to be put to bed. But I think they had a solid year. They started off quite slowly, South, I mean, and they came home quite well. They were waiting to see if they would make the top four. It came down to the last. That was either them or Capalabar. They made it into the top four. And don't forget their run to the cup final as well. It's been a pretty solid year for South, all told. Yeah, and they did lose a couple of players mid-season as well. I'm pretty sure I saw uh, Holly Gray and a couple of others going over to college in the U.S. as well. Uh, so that probably would have had a bit of an impact. Now the teams that didn't make the finals, Capalaba, last year's grand finalist, this year just on the outside looking in, and it just never quite seemed to click the way that it had in previous years for them, Scott. Yeah, Adam's already had a massive rant at Capalabar on this on the Come Sunday on. show, so he's not I'm, not. I'm not letting him repeat that again because James will be here all night if we do that. But it wasn't the year Capalabar were hoping for. Was it, uh, coming off of a grand final, some really key experienced players, players who are A League women's players for the Brisbane Royal, had three in that squad, plus Georgie Worth, who's not there this year. So that a really experienced squad. So for them to miss the finals is a disappointment, and they'll try and rebound next year. Adam, quickly. Yeah, uh, if you want to hear my full rant, you can go find back on a couple of episodes ago. I'll flip uh, it up for people. Yeah, but look, uh, for mine, absolutely the disappointment of the season, including the teams below them. Now, for a squad that, that has that sort of talented players with that many contracted uh, A-League women's players, uh, for them to finish fifth in this league is, you know, is quite frankly very, very disappointing. And I think you know, they've got a really... Yeah, a big task in rebuilding in that. I don't know what what went wrong, but it did go wrong, and uh, yeah, it's not good enough from that from that talented squad. Yeah, uh, Sunshine Coast Wanderers. They did make it to the semi final of the Kappa Women's Super Cup uh, in that league in that cup campaign, but their league season again just not quite able to get the job done when they needed to. Over to you, Adam. Yeah, look, they um they at times a challenge. They they showed that they're worth it. They've got some good players, you know, that can can make their sort of mark. But uh, yeah, overall, like I said, it was probably a you know it was a it was a pass mark as much. I think uh, Corey Robbins uh, obviously yeah uh, was got a bit of work to do obviously to improve that squad. But look, all was not lost. I think they would uh, look at that program and say it's still on the up and up. Yeah, the new best friends of um, South United, Sunshine Coast Wanderers. James, Louise Rolf had a really good year for the Sunshine Coast Wanderers, and they've solidified themselves as a solid NPL women's team. Yep. Uh, on to Olympic. Probably would have been hoping for finals football themselves, but they just they were really decimated with injuries as the season went along, and I think that's going to be the story of their season. Yeah, again, I think for them a disappointment to not make the top four, but they had quality players that just didn't quite... Just didn't quite click for Olympic, did it? Adam? Yeah, a bit, a bit disappointing. But again, they there were sort of circumstances. Um, so, so yeah, that's uh, yeah. But they'll, they'll, I'm sure they'll be back trying to, you know, challenge uh, next season. Yeah, and now I want to move on to the uh, QAS side as well because I do just want to make a quick point on these guys and say that they're almost a product of being too talented because they did lose some of their uh, young Matildas for various training camps and uh, whatnot. And the way Adam Pengelly has them playing, if they can just keep their squad uh, together overall, I think they're a sneaky chance of uh, finals next year as well, because they've got a lot of players with bright futures uh, off the top of my head. 
provided they can actually keep those young players in their system and don't lose them to the raw A-League women's squad and they miss a large chunk of the season, I completely agree with you. They were really enterprising side to watch when they had their best teams. Their results fluctuated, James, throughout the year, but it tended to be when they didn't have their best players because the national team camps and all the rest of it. That's when they struggled. So if they have their best team, I fully agree with you. Yeah, when when their when their four young Matildas were in their squad, uh, out of uh, obviously you know and Ellen Get Tamar Levin as well, uh, they they were they were a very good side. They they were and as you saw, they were taking you know points off lines, and on giving them a fright. So at their very best, they were competitive. When those players were not there, they oh they they really struggled. So I think I think it's yeah that you know I think with them you got to look at the you know, performance versus results. Yep. Uh, now, the final team and the team that is, unfortunately for them, going down to FQPL1 next season is Morton Bay. And the story of their season for me was injuries. Just unable to keep that top 11 uh, on the pitch. The Friar sisters only came back at the back end of the season, but some of the players still had good enough campaigns that they were able to get picked up by the Brisbane Raw, including Georgia Beaumont and Sean Fryer. Yeah, I think the yeah, the story that uh, for Morton Bay is I think their season was actually wrecked about in in July last year when both Friars sisters went down with injury. Flo McIntyre had had a, a leg break as well. Uh, a, a number of players were, were unavailable as well. And yeah, look, they they sort of you know, showed glimpses of times that they really you know couldn't uh, really to get the job done. Uh, but like I said, they they it looks like they're going forward. I think if they FQPL campaign next year, they've already started making you know, some big signings as far as you know securing their their um, under 23s team to go to FQPL next season. I think that'll be the basis. It'll be a very young side, you know, for FQPL, and we'll see if they get back up at the first uh, point of trying. Yeah, Thank you, Mr. Team, Mayor. I think, absolutely, I think that team could have made the top four, James, if they had their full full team for the full season and not the last couple of weeks. At which point it was already a fait accompli they were going to finish in the bottom one of the table. So I think if they had been able to have their full side, it could have been very, very different. All right. Teams of the season time. We've already done our NPL and FQPL men's teams of the season. You can find those on our socials. Uh, But we haven't done the NPL women's team of the year because we were waiting for the final series to be completed. Let's lead off with you, Scott. Oh, good. I get to go first on this one. And apologies in advance if this is a little bit Lions-centric, but what do you want me to do? So I'll just go through the team. It's a 4-3-3 formation of Ingold, Coco, Mastrovich, a back four, Cannon, Clough, Eloise, Fryer, Chelsea, Blissett and Tegan Thompson. Midfield, Aisha Nori, Momo Hayashi, and Marielle Hecker. A front three, Bella Habuda, Amy Gunston, and Tegan Riding. With the bench, Keely Richards, Georgina Rink, Zoe Corbett, Caitlin Kissel, Zara Kruger, Sophie Pearson, and Dee Thompson. With coached by the one and only Rob Askey. I, I want to throw a little challenge flag on that. Marielle Hecker played as a winger predominantly this year. Who cares? <laughs> she's just... playing in another number 10 role this team, and she's going to be dominant. Yeah. I, I just I just want to see the look on your face, Adam. Uh, yeah, look, my my team uh, does sort of follow a similar path, but uh, yeah, my team on a four three three formation goalkeeper Keely Richards, uh, the big back four of Cannon Clough, Ellie Fryer, Chelsea Blissett, Tegan Thompson, uh, midfield of Aisha Nori, Billy Murphy, and Mariel Hecker, and my. Front three is Chanel Harris from uh, Sunshine Coast Wanderers, Tegan Riding, and Maya Bruckner. On the bench, uh, Ellie Chappell uh, as a reserve goalkeeper, Georgia, Georgia Rink and Holly Clark as your um, backup defenders, Momo Hayashi and Ella O'Grady as the um, 
backup midfielders, Paloma Olvera and Jasmine Genovese as the uh, backup uh, forwards. And coached by the one and only Rob Askew. Yeah, uh, Rob Askew is my coach as well. Some of those names I did think about uh, pulling a late change to my team, but I'm going with Keely Richards as the goalkeeper. Back for Cannon Clough, Holly Clark, Ellie Fryer and Tegan Thompson. Midfield, Momo Hayashi, Rikitano and Katie Kissel. Front three, Mariel Hecker, Tegan Riding and Sophie Person. The bench, Prue Donahoe, the reserve goalkeeper. Uh, Zoe Corbett, Kaho Oshima, the reserve defenders. Zoe Corbett was a defender this year before any of you uh, get your challenge flags out. Oh. <laughs> I'll listen to her as a defender as well. Don't worry, I'm not going to challenge. Uh, Ish Nori, Amy Gunston and Dee Thompson with Rob Askew as my coach. All right. Now, uh, over to FQPL. And what do you say we lead off with the team of the season for FQPL as well? Because we've already got our list going. Starting with you, Adam. Okay, my FQPL uh, team of the, one team of the year. Uh, obviously, again, the same formula, 4-3-3. Uh, in goals, Liz Harrington from Potential Power. And obviously, you've got some uh, very sort of familiar teammates in at, in the back line with Kiralee Phillips, Tegan Ben Vegical, and and uh, Libby Sobolski, and uh, at left back Ashley Watkins from from Mitchelton. The uh, midfield of Lana Hutch, Kao Yamamuro, and Steph Latham, and the front line of Kaya Stevenson, Kelly Perfroy, and Meg McGilligan. And on the bench, Ebony Kidd from uh, Southwest Queensland Thunder, April Gleason, Jemima Head. Emily Phillips, Rachel Dudley, Abby Lloyd, Ashley Hummels, and the coach is the grand final winning coach, Tony Skinner. Hang on, who is your uh, who is your front three again? Starting front three? Yeah. Stevenson, Perifoy, and uh, then McGilligan. Yeah. Okay, just making sure I was listening. Scott, what about you? All right, in a 4-3-3, in goal, Liz Harrington, back four, Kiralee Phillips, Tegan Van Veckel, Emily Rebello and Libby Sabulski. Midfield, Sassy Tamang, Emmy, Emily Phillips and Katie McDonald. Front three, Callie Poufroy, Meg McGilligan, Rachel Dudley. On the bench, Jessica Joyce, Rachel Fraser, Ashley Hopkins, Mackie Umahara, Kaya Yamamuro, Kaya Stevenson and Isabella Wood with the coach, the Premiership winner, Alex Smith. All right. Um, my team of the season, because I just realised I actually had a uh, – player listed twice because I'm a little bit stupid. <laughs> to be fair, Kelly was that dominant. You can afford to list her twice. Yeah. Considering but... uh, putting in the NPL team of the year as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, I am going to just, I've got to make a quick update as well. Uh, okay. Oh, stalling. Okay. Uh, it was just to my bench in the end. So, uh, Goalkeeper, Liz Harrington. Back four, Kiralee Phillips, Tegan Van Vegschel, Natsumi Tanaka, and Mary Dean. Midfield, Katie McDonald, Steph Latham, Alicia Woods. Uh, front three of uh, Perferoy, McGilligan, and Stevenson. My bench, Sabulski and Rebello, uh, Tegan Joyce and Rachel Dudley. Ashley Hummels and Abby Lloyd with Alex Smith, the coach. So there we go. Um, quick, now we're quickly going to touch on the FQPL competition, starting with FQPL one women's. Uh, Adam, quick recap of that. Uh, look, uh, potential power uh, dominant. I lost uh, one game a season, which was unfortunately the grand final, but uh, in what was an epic contest uh, on, on Saturday night. 
but look, I, I think the season, you know, obviously it's, it's got there's two sort of stories to it. One, you know, Kelly Perfroy, you know, what a superstar she was in that division. Can't wait to see what she can do in MPL uh, next season. And also as well, just um, I think just the overall joy of seeing Peninsula Power uh, and Alex Smith rebuilding that program from absolutely, you know, you know, nothing 18 months ago uh, to, to be to be the premiers uh, in one side. And also, they're under-23s, which I didn't even have an under-23s uh, team last year to go and win that title. I think that shows a lot of what, um, not only not only what Alex, but the whole whole sort of, you know, sort of coaching staff out there, you know, have done with that women's program. I think it's great to see. And they'll, they'll also be, I reckon they'll be um, a contender come MPL next year. Yeah, without a doubt. Scott, what was your big takeaway? Uh, individually, it's the dominance in the season that Kelly Poufoy had for, for Mitchelton. Off the right-hand side, her performances were absolutely spectacular. And for what that club's been through in the last 12 months, James, for them to have that moment at the weekend in the grand final, I think it was a really, really great moment for that club. And hopefully it'll be something that they remember for a long time to come. And the other big takeaway is the emergence of one, one power, James in Peninsula Power, pardon the pun, their resurgence of being a former MPL champion back into to the MPL next year is really good. At the other end of the table, the demise of the Gap, who've been the, the dominant club for a long time in the, in women's football here in Queensland, for, for them now to, to be in the third tier, it's unthinkable for most that they would be in the third tier, but that's the other big picture, isn't it? The, the rise of Peninsula Power and the fall of the Gap. So I just, yep. sorry, just, sorry, just one more point. I just want to back take, up. Take mine. Saying, uh, about Mitchelton as well. I think, yeah, you take power out of the equation. I think they've had a stellar season as well, especially with all the with all the difficulties that they've had. I know we, we've sort of, you know, waxed lyrical about it on Sunday night, but just want to, you know, quickly again, you know, from my point of view, also acknowledge, you know, what it was a season that Mitchie have had as well. Yep, and I can't add anything more to that, so I won't try. Instead, I will move us on to the FQPL1 men's, where Redlands and Rochdale wound up getting promoted, but... The standout storyline for me was just how competitive that division was overall. And to be honest, the quality of football that was played by some of those teams as well, where you do wonder about the gap between the top of the NPL and top of the FQPL and the bottom of the NPL, Rochdale, Redlands, and even to a lesser extent, uh, Thunder on their day, they all looked like really good clubs against uh, the rest of that competition. So that's my takeaway. Scott, what about you? Yeah, the, with the FQPL one, normally you look at that league and think how many teams from that competition could actually compete in the NPL. This year, I think it's probably a larger number. Redlands and Roadstale were by far and away the two best sides. They ended up running away with the promotion spots and the grand final. They thoroughly deserve it, both of them, and I'll be looking forward to seeing what they do. At the other end, I think a couple of clubs who've been really solid mid-table NPL, FQPL one sides, James, Mitchelton and Ipswich Knights, had a really tough start to the year for reasons we all know with the flooding. They never really got going. So I think the gap between the top and the bottom of the FQPL1 is actually not that big. I think it's a really tight league to your point. And I think next year as well with teams coming in, be even closer again. Yeah. Uh, all right. Now, what have we got? Uh, sorry, just, just one thing that I mentioned about FQPL1. Uh, oh, look, yeah, the so the redemption story with Redlands, yeah, obviously doing, you know, doing, uh, doing the double, I think that, that's great that sees them back. Rochdale, you know, finally reaching MPL, uh, you know, for a big for a club their stature, but also as well, uh, Kabulcha, Kabulcha, they were looking on 
on course until Cam Prestone decided to go to Norway, and that was the end of them, which was uh, really, you say one-man team, that may have been the actual uh, definition of that. But look, I just so and also, but I think next season in FQPL one is going to be even bigger. No, that's a, that, with those those clubs that are there. You add the three that are coming up from FQPL two. It's going to be a very very tight competition next season. Well, you mentioned FQPL two. I think we're all in agreement that uh, Surface Paradise Apollo was the big story from there, just showing that they are going to be a competitive side in the top tiers of uh, Queensland football for years to come. Yeah, that and also the fact that among the rest of the competition, it was so hard to get a read on the level because you could there was no form to follow. Teams would just the results would just go crazy from week to week. So it was a very up and down league, hard to get a handle on. But surfers were far and away the best side, and I think they're a better side going to FQPL one than than Caboolture were 12 months ago. So I think they will go quite well at that level next year. The other story, Samford got so close to securing that promotion, and unfortunately it slipped out of their fingers. So we'll see if they can correct it next year. Uh, look, yeah, Surface Paradise were the big story, but we sort of knew, uh, obviously, the, the, the sort of the depth and sort of, you know, form of these Gold Coast clubs, you know, coming into the Premier Leagues. Uh, Albany Creek tried as they might have tried to stay with them, but sort of, you know, fell in a bit of a slump with injuries started by them. Wolves started uh, very, very um, slowly, but they came home really well. And actually, you know, grand, on grand final night at Carmichael Park, they actually looked like that they could may have, uh, could have, very easily stolen that grand final. So those three teams go up to FQPL1. Um, I think it's going to be uh, a very, very uh, competitive season, next season, as I just mentioned. Uh, the rest of the league, yeah, uh, headed by Sanford. Uh, look, they were there there about the rest of that. Geez, that, that was a lottery. Some some nights trying to predict who was going to win games and that. And that. They're just their form was very, very inconsistent. Yeah. All right. Um, now, the reason we kind of had to brush through the FQPL divisions is because we got something very special planned to wrap up this season review because it was the 10th season of the National Premier Leagues here in Queensland. And, uh, well, it would be wrong to just let the moment go by without at least some form of acknowledgement. Scott, I need to cough. So why don't you tell us about um, your best moment from the last decade of NPL coverage? Well, the league's changed quite a bit from, from 10 years ago to now. I know we've only started covering it closely in the last four, four and a half years here on the Brisbane Football Review, but it's been, we were paying some attention to it before that, but we've covered it the last four and a half years. The one thing that, that um, I've really, I've probably five and a half years actually, the one thing I've really enjoyed is the Lions Olympic rivalry, so I'm going to stick on brand with this one. And if there's one game that I thought really stood out as the best game they've played, it's the 2020 NPL Grand Final when you had all the players returning from the Southern Conference, James, and the quality of, this, of that second half of the season was really high. And that grand final was so good. You had players like Tasku Sakia in there. All the old Lions players who went to Victoria came back. And it was such a high-quality game. And to me, that's the most enjoyment I've had of watching a game. And the result was what it was. But the, the game was just such a quality matchup. I mean, there's some big moments in individual grand finals and other games, which I'm sure you, you'll both mention. But for me, that that's my most memorable moment. Uh, look, for, for mine, actually, the moment that I always come back to is the 2016 Grand Final at Perry Park. Michael Lee's goal to snatch it, to snatch it against, um, they, they, were, they were Fury back then, I can't remember, but yeah. They were, it was the FNQ Heat. Yeah, sorry, Heat, sorry, yeah. Yeah, 
um, yeah, to, for 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 Reynolds to win that 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 goal, Michael Lee scored. Hey, seeing where I was sitting behind, and that was before we started this um, started Brisbane Football Review as well. But that really sort of you know said to me, wow, this this league is great. That, that goal was scored. Obviously, the Dylan Wenzel Hall's 2017 Grand Final. Um, that that free kick was there at mine, but. Look, overall, I, I agree with Scott. Now, I think the most pleasure I've had seeing um, seeing sort of, you know, football in this state was pretty much that, that sort of second half of that season when you had a lot of the, the standard of the league just went so high because of the returning Victor, uh, Victorian players. You know, Queensland has come back from Victoria because their season got cancelled. I thought that was such a, that was such a great season in the official. And, of course, that, that epic grand final. So, yeah, there's a couple of moments that I had from last decade. For me, it's just grand final day. You, like, I, I think back to the first one that we went to uh, as a part of the show, and that it was a D- Dylan Wenzel horse free kick out at uh, Briggs Road that night as well. I think back my first year commentating doing the 2019 grand final between Knights and Olympic um, back at Perry Park. They'd let clubs host it for the couple of years before that. Going to the neutral venue, the atmosphere that the two sets of fans created as well, and just doing that level that level of um, game and the grand finals over the last few years just have been by and large, so memorable. And they're the moments that really do seem to uh, make the season. If I'm going for a regular season moment, I think I'm going to have to go for that Lions Olympic 3-3 draw in the rain at um, at Lions Stadium last year as well, where Simon was commentating and absolutely losing his mind, which just summed up how crazy that game was. Now for a project that uh, we've been thinking about for quite a while, we're going to name our respective... National Premier League's Queensland uh, men's teams of the decade. Now, I have to admit, I'm going to defer to uh, you guys because mine is going to be quite heavy uh, over the last four years because uh, of the players that I've been uh, commentating on. They're uh, going to have quite a bit of uh, weight in this one, but we're going to lead off with uh, Scott. Oh, great. I'm up first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right, so I will go through my team as I can, with a little bit of explanation, but not too much detail. Just in goal is Luke Borian, who won grand finals with Morton Bay and Lions, so he's the easy choice for the goalkeeper. The back four is heavily built on that really great Lions side, so it's jo- Josh Brindle South, Tommy Gerrard, um, Matthew Simic, and Matt Schmidt as well had a great run for a lot of the Gold Coast teams as well, so that's my back four. The midfield, Joey Duckworth, I know he started up front, but he moved into midfield, so he's, my, he's in midfield for me. Justin Mackay, really good for the Gold Coast sides. Palm Beach, Gold Coast, Gold Coast um, City, Gold Coast Knights, Gold Coast United. Played for all of them, so he's in there and started from day one and still playing now and still playing quite well, James. So he's one of the players who I've included from the full 10 years. Delhi midfielder is Sam Cronin. The front third are the two top goal scorers, Jason McQuasse and Andy Pengelly, as well as the great Graham Fife from Redlands on the left-hand side. My bench is Brendan White, Jaden Walker, Michael McGowan, Jake McLean, Fraser Hills, Chris Lucas, and Royce Brownlee, with the coach being, this was a tough call, so a couple of really good contenders, but I went for Warren Moon. Yeah, that's fair enough. Um, Adam, what about you? Yeah, like just listen to Scott's explanation, I feel bad. There's a, some, so many good players I've sort of left. That We're I've all going to annoy plenty out. of players here, don't yeah. worry. Yeah. 
I think the same as the, as the NPL men's team the year. I think that you could pick another seven team beyond that, and I think still be a formidable team. But for for me, on a four three three formation as usual, uh, goalie Luke Borian, uh, Kazia Ito, Greg, Greg Hensley, Martia Simic, and Hideki Omori are my back four. Michael Lee, uh, Graham Fife, Jake McLean are my midfielders, and my forwards, uh, Sam Smith, Royce Brownlee, and Chris Lucas. My my bench is Phil Zavax, Michael McGowan, Roman Hoffman, Scott Halliday, Sean Carlos, Andy Pangeli, and Antonio Murray. And my coach, after a bit of deliberation, uh, is Gray Piddick. He was there in the beginning, and he is still there. All right. Uh, I'm one short on the bench. I am having a really hard time. They put not Kazito not. on the bench for me. I've already overlooked that. Never mind. I just realised what, what I was missing. Okay, my team of the decade, Luke Borian, uh, the goalkeeper, Jaden Walker at right back, Martia Simic and Tommy Jarrard, the central defensive duo, uh, duo and King Kazu Ito, Ito as my left back. Midfield trio, Mitch Nichols, Justin Mackay and Sam Cronin. I know Nichols hasn't been around for all that long, but geez, he has been so damn good since he's uh, landed back here in Queensland. My attacking trio, Jez Lofthouse on the left wing, Chris Lucas as striker, and Jason McQuasse on the right. The bench, Phil Zadax, the goalkeeper, the substitute defenders, Greg Hensley and Michael Lee. Midfielders, Fraser Hills and Joe Duckworth. Uh, and my attackers, geez, I would love to be able to call on these guys in their prime just generally, Andy Pengelly and uh, Rolls-Royce Brownlee. The coach, Warren Moon. It was so. I it, I was literally tossing a coin in my head there, going between Moon and Khan. But in the end, you've got to go with uh, Warren Moon in large part because I'd like him to talk to me at uh, Raw games this season. Well, that's very excuse. <laughs> <laughs> no, just just but just look just on your uh, sort of explanation about Mitch Nichols as well. Look, I, I was tossing up whether I should put Tasku Sakia. You know, he's only here for half a season, but I thought he was so good in a half a season that, you know, he left an impression on me, but, you know, I think it's a little bit of a stretch. So, and look, like I said, there's been plenty of forwards that have come and gone in, especially in the MPL over the last decade. have just been, you know, absolutely exhilarating watch. So, um, yeah, as I said, there will be many, many more names, I think, that will be debated about who are the best players of the uh, decade in MPL, and may it long continue. Okay, I do want to quickly just say as well, give us one player from each position group, so goalkeeper, attackers, defenders, midfielders. Scott, who who were some of your almost uh, made it? Well, Kazito for one. Yeah. But also Matt Mundy was close to defending for me. He was at the Olympic from day one. He's still there now. The other one was Jez Lofthouse. He was really close to getting that final spot on the bench. So was Sean Carlos. They're the players yeah. I have who were pretty close to making my team. Also, I, I agree Piddick as a coin toss, like like you said, as the alternate coach. Yeah. Uh, some of the names I really thought about including as well, Matt Mundy, um, Steve White was another midfielder that would have been worth a shout at. And for me, Jake McLean was another almost uh, made it and uh, Graham Fife as well. Adam? Uh, look, uh, Jason McQuarrie is the one name that you know, really sort of, you know, uh, 
couldn't find a space for uh, Jez Lofthouse is probably another one and Matt Mundy. They're probably three three positions. The coach, yeah, look, I, as I said, I, I'm great pity because, you know, of his long, longevity, he's been there for the very beginning. But look, Warren Moon and Ben Khan both um, look, very easily could have been there as well. Uh, and then, then that's just the, that's sort of just the start of it as well. But uh, yeah, no, no, it's been, been a, some great players that come through over the last, uh, over the decade. Yeah, and uh, that may be may well be my favourite thing about um, doing these teams of the season because no matter what it's for, there is always a um, for me at least, and I'm sure you guys are the same. There's always a name that comes up that you just sit there and go, "Oh my god, how did I forget him?" Yeah, Casito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no matter what season, what the criteria, whether it's A League, men's, women's, NPL season, decade, whatever. It is just, there are names there that you always go, God, I can't believe I forgot him. Anyway, that's going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Scott. Good to talk to you again, James. Thank you, Adam. Yep, thank you and good night. And thank you, everyone, for following along with our coverage of the 2022 Football Queensland seasons. We'll be back once again for 2023 in our various capacities. We're very much looking forward to it. But for now, on the Brisbane Football Review, we're on to the A-League. Cannot wait. Stay tuned for the season preview. That will be coming out before too long. In the meantime, enjoy the break. We'll talk to you later.